Good evening. Welcome to another episode of How to Be Queer when you pretended you were straight. My name is Alex. My pronouns are they, them. We got some goodness going on tonight. We certainly do. We do. Um, hi, it's Kim. I'm back again. <laughs> the permanent fixture. The permanent <laughs> I don't know. Permanent I, guess, guest. I guess in some ways I like to... To consider myself a guest star. I'm very important. No, I'm not. Okay. But it's Kim. Um, pronouns she, her. I am back. And we have our very, very, very dear, loving, close friend. Well, like our family. Family. Family yeah. we've chosen. Yes. Queer reference. <laughs> Andrea. Would you like to say <laughs> hi? Hi, I'm Andrea. Pronouns she, her. Cisgender, straight female, I guess is the best way to describe me. And Andrea is joining us this week because Andrea is the epitome of an ally. And that's what we are going to talk about this week is what is an, what's an ally? Allyship, yeah. Allyship. Um, Should we do the acronym? Maybe later. No, you do it. Go for it. So ally, A for acknowledge... L, leveraging your privilege, or, or, and L, listen, center the impacted, and then Y is yield the floor. Get the fuck out of the way. Oh, I love the way you say that. You say that like a <laughs> boss. Someone did call me a badass motherfucker a couple days ago. So, you really you know. are, though. <laughs> I was like, thanks. Thanks. Badass motherfucker. That's a way to start the day. <laughs> right. It was a good, that was a good meeting. So the reason we're also talking about allyship is we are coming into the time of year where all the rainbows come out. Um, we're talking about Pride the entire month of June, where most of most of our, our country does celebrate Pride Month. And um, there's a lot to unpack with, with how to show up as an ally during Pride. So that's a little bit what we're here to talk about. Are you guys ready to... To dive in. We're not going to chit-chat much tonight, are we? Nope. <laughs> Am I killing the vibe? I feel no. like I'm killing the vibe. <laughs> There's no vibe killing. Because no vibe killing. I think this is a little bit of a topic that feels like badass motherfucker to us, right? Uh-huh. So the way we're going we're gonna to roll this tonight is, you know, as even though we are, um, how, to be, how to be queer when you pretended you were straight... There's a couple elements to that that I think are really interesting and in that one in particular, because I pass as straight everywhere I go. Um, I am a femme lesbian, which means a lot of people don't recognize that I am a lesbian, which means a lot of people say fucked up shit to me, not realizing that they're saying it to a queer person. So I have that perspective of hearing a lot of things over the years that it's a little bit, you know, the, the, the Wizard of Oz, you see the man behind the curtain. Mm-hmm. Um, so in coming out as as queer, I want to acknowledge and try to in a very, um, in, a, in a way where I don't really like to cause shame, even though we probably will giggle about some of this stuff. I really, my intention is not to, to bring shame. It is more to bring awareness. But I do feel like I've had that that peek behind the curtain of, what people say to you when they assume that you're straight and mm-hmm. you're not. A little bit of a twist this week on our podcast. Mm-hmm. What reasons do you... I mean, Andrea, you're our guest Our guest this week. When I said to you, so come on our podcast. I want to talk about allyship. What was the first thing that went through your head? 
I mean, 100% yes, that I would be here because A, I'm loving the podcast, even though it's basically the conversations we have like every single day amongst ourselves. But I think it's, it's as somebody who has a lot of very, very dear chosen family people in the community, it's just really important for me to show up, but also to like help communicate the importance of how to be a good ally. Because you are a great ally. Oh, thank you. I try. You're a great ally. So we'll get into some specifics. So I'm going to start off with with, um, something I learned, I guess, over the last two weeks. And that, so people have have probably, if you're listening to this podcast or you know me in, in in real life, not just over however you listen to our podcast, which I don't even know how people listen to it, through Spotify. Is that right? Yeah. And, and Google now, right? Didn't and you Google. Say? Yeah, there are a couple, a couple platforms. Google and some other other platform, I forget. But yeah. if you if you know me in real life, you know that I've worked for, for almost 22 years now in media and specifically in understanding diverse diversity within media. And um, I held a training probably about two weeks ago um, for media professionals of how to understand, you know, the LGBTQIA community and what in the world was happening in Arkansas at the time, Arkansas being one of um, many states, I think about 22 states right now that have anti-transgender laws on the books. I think I talked about this two weeks ago where we're seeing from 2016, about 20 laws on the books um, that are anti-transgender legislation. And now we're seeing upwards of about 170 um, we're also seeing Caitlyn Jenner coming out and, and wanting to be, you know, governor of California, um, while also ranting about some serious anti-transgender shit. I, I, we could have a whole separate episode about how I feel about Caitlyn Jenner right. and how that is not allyship. Um, but we'll we'll get to that in another episode. But what I had found during this training was was two things that were really remarkable to me. Number one, how much people really want to be an ally. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's so wonderful to acknowledge the goodness of intentions that, that are out there. Um, I love that you know almost all of the people I come into contact with are like, I really want to be an ally, but maybe I don't know how. Um, and then I forget what my second point was of what I learned. Okay. <laughs> it totally it was, left it was a my training brain. that you went through. Well, and also the, training. And if people wondered if they could attend Pride. Yes, thank as you. As an ally. And as an ally, can you can you attend Pride, which is gonna start next month? So in the in the in the true um wanting to to meet people where they're at, the understanding of there is a little bit of like you know, basics, like what is allyship 101? How to show up and be a good ally. That's that's really there's a need out there for it. Um, I think especially around our beautiful trans community. Mm-hmm. So there therein lies how we came to this podcast episode. So I'm gonna start with the first question, which was, I really want to come to Pride, but I'm straight. Am I allowed to come to Pride? So I have lots of lots of thoughts on this. It depends. No, it depends. <laughs> <laughs> it depends. Just kidding. Not really. Not really. Okay, we'll go into it more. Ready, go. Oh, okay. So my my first response to I'm straight, can I come to Pride is, well, yes. Yeah, of course you can. Of course you can. Pride yeah. is a celebration. Yeah. And um, the community wants to be inclusive of, of everyone. 
Um, there's also elements of somebody coming to Pride that maybe they are questioning whether or not they should come out and they're looking for a safe space to do it. Pride is definitely the, sp the safe space if you are thinking of coming out. So no, we wouldn't want to judge. Or maybe your your brother, your sister, your mom, your best friend is is queer and you want to come support them. Should you come to Pride? Yes, you should come to Pride. Here's where it gets a little tricky. I think for any of us that are, are, are queer and have been to Pride, you may have seen the straight couple there that it feels a little bit more like it's on the voyeur side than it's on the support side. So my basic message is come to Pride, but you are there to make space for others, not take space. So that means if you're coming with your cisgender partner and you're fantasizing about you know, or sexualizing gay folks that are there, you don't belong at Pride. Um, that is not the space to play out your sexual fantasies with your partner or to stare at gay couples. Yeah. And unfortunately, that has happened to me. Yeah. Alex, go ahead. Your straight cisgender partner. Your straight cisgender, well, or assumed straight. Assumed straight. I assume everyone's gay at this point until they tell me <laughs> otherwise. I'm kidding. <laughs> But I think I've had experiences um, at Pride where I have had, I have felt stared at and not in a way that was celebratory, but in a place that was, it felt like, um, like someone may have been playing out a bit of a fetish. Yeah. I, I avoided Pride for the, uh, for a few, for several years. Okay. I, I need to know more. Why did you avoid Pride? Um, so... Simply, uh, I think I was scared. It was before I acknowledged a lot, of, a lot of pieces to myself, but also, um, I think it would have been too real. But also, um, that the idea of like I hadn't worked out what it really meant to be, what that really meant for me, because I was still so, you know, I didn't, I, I. It was scary. It was scary for me. Right. Yeah. So you could have been potentially a person that was using pride to either avoid or to explore who you really were. Yeah. I did that in college. And then when I got here, when I moved here, I would like, oh, I'm going to take the kids. I'm going to go. And then I just never, ever went because I was like, mm. But yeah. Andrew, you have been, as a, as a cisgendered straight person, you've been to many a pride. Absolutely. And very much in the celebratory support space. And what I was going to say is I think what you're saying about the right way to show up at pride is actually also part of just being a good ally across the board, whether it's at pride or anywhere. And that's really about that making space versus taking space. And I think, you know, to be an ally and be someone who is truly there to support the community it's about being vulnerable and asking what your friends and, and people in the community need from you versus assuming that you know best for what they need. And I know you've expressed sometimes, you know, the idea of like the over, what did you say, toxic positivity yeah. or this idea that they're acknowledging your fight is over and all of that. And that really feels like an appropriation yeah. of your experience Whereas I think being a true ally is really about being there to support and letting you uh, in the community take the lead on yeah. how to best do that. So you bring up something that for both for both Alex and I, we both have a have had some experience with, which we call the 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 positivity 
or spiritual bypass Mm -hmm. um, or toxic positivity. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to share, you know, one of, one of my pet peeves with, with toxic positivity. And then I know you have a really interesting story around it, but one of um, the things that I think I hear consistently is, well, hasn't it gotten so much better? And I hear this from, from people that I consider to be, you know, some of my closest, closest, you know, friends in this life. And I understand why they're saying it to me because they somehow think it's going to make me feel better um, for them to say, well, you could get married now. Well, yeah, I guess I could, but I'm also seeing a Supreme Court that's been um, put into place that actually does not necessarily, or at least I don't believe, wants to see me continue that right. So no, it doesn't necessarily feel better. And the positive sort of bypass of what my actual experience is just makes me feel like I'm not really seen. Um, and I understand why why people do that in, in thinking that they're being an ally by bringing up this positive is that they want to make me feel better. But what they're not acknowledging is that it actually feels like an erasure of the fear that I, I do legitimately need to live with every day. Um, I have a trans partner. We have a trans child. It, the fight is far from over. Mm-hmm. And so to just kind of throw that things are getting better um, I think that might make my friends feel better who are not living in the community. It does not make me feel better in any way. It just makes me feel that there's a lot of ignorance around where the fight actually still remains. Um, so I know you've had, Alex, you've had some experience with what we call positive, toxic positivity as well. Yeah, I think I I also, I, this is actually hard to say, but I also just have to acknowledge like, I'm still really angry about about stuff that's happened to me and and just letting myself be angry that you know I'm I've fought my way and clawed my way up to I get who I am and it's like you you figured out you're like yay I'm here and then over and over and over again you just have people like dismiss you left and right and it's just kind of like what the fuck you just want to you want to hide you want to run away and so let's just, I want to say that, but also that doesn't mean that I'm like, you know, like a raging mess all over the place either. It's just, I'm just acknowledging that there's frustration and that, and also that people have a lot of wonderful, good intention and it's all the things. So, oh, good. No, I was just going to say, I think that this is just, you know, where there's an assumption that on the superficial level everything's okay. And so it is a place of privilege for straight people to say, oh, let's gloss over the deeper issues, the outstanding things that still bring fear and just acknowledge that there's been slight movements forward and that should placate yeah. the your fear or placate your your concern without acknowledging that there's still ongoing difficult things and it really speaks to privilege it does i mean it also i i feel like we need to acknowledge that this is very similar to people thinking we elected barack obama twice and therefore systemic racism was just solved and we know that that is is far from the truth but it is the same type of appropriation of i'm not living with this struggle every day I see that some things have changed, so obviously it must be so much better. Let's throw a celebration. Why are you still worried? And really all it shows me is that it's that is your privilege showing. Um, and that is not a form of allyship. 
So if, if, if our, if our intent here is to be allies and to the first, one of the first things you learn as an ally is to listen, um, you know, as an ally, you, you need to not bring your own, you know, bypass into it where you think you are making somebody feel better by only showing them the positive sides and not actually acknowledging the real, the real oppression that is still, it feels very real and your way of life still feels very threatened. Um, one of the other, you know, things that I hear commonly, um, and most people are going to like chuckle because you've either said it yourself or you've heard somebody say it is, I don't really care if someone's gay, what they do in their bedroom, it, it means nothing to me. It's none of my business. And so while on the surface, as you're saying, like, <laughs> this is true, it really shouldn't matter to you what I do in my bedroom because I certainly don't want to know what's happening in your bedroom <laughs> either. That is really reducing queer people down to what they physically do with each other. And it is not actually acknowledging the full lived experience of being a queer person. So again, your intention is, I'm so wonderful and accepting, do whatever you want in your bedroom. Well, gee, thanks. Would you like permission from me for you to do whatever freaky shit you want to do in your bedroom? Right. Oh, I'm sorry. Does that feel like Is that uncomfortable for you? uncomfortable for you? Well, and I think that's the same sexualization that you're speaking of at Pride. Like yes. you're sexualizing a gay relationship to re- and reducing it down to it's the act basement. within the bedroom and not the rich tapestry that is a relationship of any orientation you know it's it's reductive so I want to like even bring this into you know we talked about this was it last week that we did favorite television shows or the week before I don't even remember everything bleeds together now but this was one of the things I loved about Schitt's Creek okay and what is so brilliant about that show is I don't know if anyone else noticed this but we never hear about David and Patrick's sexual relationship with each other right they never really, we don't hear about the first time that they have sex. We don't, you know, they never really give us a, a there's some, you know, obviously some side stories, so side stories with it. But what they do in the bedroom together never takes a central role in that show. Outside of the nighttime whoopsies. The nighttime whoopsies <laughs> happened, right? But not, but, but like. But not sexual. <laughs> but not sexual. And again, like hats off to Dan Levy that he wrote a, a program that didn't debase a relationship just over what they were going to do in a bedroom. And, you know. Listen, if uh, people seem to, oh, what was the, the other thing that they always say when they see us? Well, which one of you is the man? <laughs> top and bottom? Top and bottom? I was going to say, who has top energy? Who has bottom energy? <laughs> like, how, how would people feel if we asked them those questions? Or when people say to us, well, which one is the man? Well, neither. That's the That's fucking the point. point. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah so do you want to share any more so those are my like some of my toxic or po- toxic positivity of I hey I think I'm being such a great ally and I'm like not so much you've got I know you have a especially a, 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 at work you've had yeah quite a few interesting I've had an interesting um ride with um colleagues at work where Four or five times, you know, circle back around me doing what I think I'm supposed to be doing. You know, hey, this is who I am. These are my pronouns. Um, This is my name. And I'm 
you know, and I, and you have to like go in, you have to go in in a certain angle because you're basically dealing with people's fragility that it's like, if you don't, if you come in hot, they're going to be like, Oh, that's Alex, the angry trans non-binary person. They're always, you know, angry about this or that. And I'm like, and then, so I, I acknowledge that, but when, when the reality is, is like, I've been dismissed repeatedly asked over and over again, well, how can we support you? Um, and like, you know, I'm not going to point a finger like saying it's just one person or one entities or organization's fault. It's just, um, outgrowing a space um, valuing myself in a way that like we're in different spaces and I'm going to go where I feel safe. And you and I talked about this, this, this past week where like, I need to go where I, I feel safe too. Not me trying to pull 180 pound anchors or however much they weigh along with me. Like, come on, we're going to, you know, let me, let me help you be an ally. And they're stuck either throwing their hand up at me laughing and waving me away, comparing my identity to their brain injury or, or breaking down and being like, I don't know. And I'm like, and once again, I don't want to hold your hand, but I have to hold your hand. So I'm going to make you get a little <laughs> bit more specific in this. Yeah. And so we're going to go over one really specific example that happens. Okay. So you are on, um, we won't name where you work. Yeah. It's not hard to figure out, but no. <laughs> I'm not going to name where you work, but where you work, they've been saying that they want to become a much more inclusive organization. Yeah. So they form um, an inclusionary council, which, you know, it, it, if we're going to base this in like the simplest explanation, this is for, for folks to figure out how to be better allies. And so the inclusionary council is, is with, you know, folks that are, you know, cisgendered white, but then we've got, you know, some QT BIPOC individuals we have a trans individual and while you're on this call where you've been repeatedly telling them like how important it is to acknowledge a trans person's like you can't name, yeah yeah not pronouns not dead naming you can't dead name you are actually and this is months that you've been going over the same information yep you are dead named in this meeting yeah and nobody says a thing. Nobody says a thing. Nobody says a thing. Yeah. And so Andrea, we've talked with, because you obviously, you knew and were very close to Alex prior to mm -hmm. Alex transitioning. So dead naming, like this oh. is something we've talked about. <laughs> what do we do when we dead name? <laughs> I know. Well, and I think this goes into an important point about being a good ally is you're going to make mistakes. And I know for a fact early on when you first trend, you know, when you first began identifying as Alex and in your this new evolving life that you were in I know I misgendered you and I yeah. know that I probably used your dead name but I do want to remember like a couple weeks ago maybe a few months ago you made a reference to your dead name like kind of in a in a story and and when you said it, I absolutely had no idea who you were talking about. Like, <laughs> I sat there and was like, who who's who that? Well, I was like, who are they? And then I was like, oh my God. Like it yeah. just, because that's how detached now. But obviously I spend a lot of time with you and, but you are going to make mistakes. And 
you just have to, as an ally, as a true ally, you acknowledge it, you own your mistake, you you say sorry, but you don't make it weird and awkward. You just move on. And I know you guys made that point in one of your earlier podcasts, but people that have been around you long enough, and yeah. especially people on this council, really should have had the awareness of the varying levels of issues yeah. that that brought up. And mm-hmm. I think I think it's also important to to tell, especially the listeners, like... You know, not every trans person like hates their dead name. Like, and some I've heard, I've I've asked some friends that refer to it as their, you know, just their birth name or their given name or their legal name. It was their uh, like a different name, but um, like yeah. So it's just it's different for each person, of course. So the other example that you that you gave that I know you you are. And I, I, I kind of like when you're angry, I'm like, you're, you're really kind of cute when you're angry. Yeah. <laughs> now you're just prodding. Now I'm just like, now, now you're just trying, should I leave? <laughs> you, don't, you don't see me like this very often. I don't. And I think that's where I'm like, yeah, get it. Like, let me see that fire. Um, but the other thing you had mentioned, and I have to say, this was one that I was like, you've got to be shitting me. But that's such a, I hate that expression. And I just said it, but when when you were uh, asked to speak about the experience of, of transitioning, of transcending from, you know, one, one, you know, hey, I was socialized this this way. This is not actually what my gender is, um, which is a very vulnerable story and space to share mm-hmm. that someone compared it to a brain injury that they had had. So they obviously knew what your struggle was like because they had a brain injury. So now, well... I don't want to take anything away from what that person's experience no, was. No, you're right. Of course not. These are not comparable. No. You can, it's it's not like you you it, these aren't comparable things that happen to us in life. Yeah. Finding your authentic self is not a traumatic like devastating event in your life. Right. It's quite I, the opposite. I think when I, you know, I circle back around with this person, I'm like, "Hey, you know, this, this is what happened. Like, dead naming is not... In, in the trans community, you know, it's not typically something that you do to... You know, in, unless, unless there's a rapport, blah, 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 blah. Overall, here's the general rule. This is what happened. This is how I felt. And, um, and, and got, getting it compared, the experience compared to a, her, their, their brain injury. And I just remember pausing and I was like, and this is where we're at. Because right. they had, and you this just person made this just about made yourself. it completely about them instead of saying, oh my God, I'm really sorry. Can I please try to correct that and let's move on? They got there later, but kind of like immediately though, it was like, let me defend myself. And I'm like, I know what this is. I know what this is. I'm just going to, I'm just going to sit here and I'm going to let you do your thing because I know what's happening right now. So side note, as a diversity trainer, yep. where I spend about Hold four hands. weeks, four <laughs> weeks of time on average, is that when you feel the need to defend, it is usually a sign that you need to go quiet and you need to listen. That is that is the sign identified in your body. And this is whether we're talking about racism, we're talking about LGBTQIA. I don't really care what it is. If you are in a position where you are feeling like, I need to defend, I need to defend, I need to defend, take it as a cue of maybe I actually need to become quiet and listen and actually hear what this person is saying to me. Take it in, 
and then did this and then really decide you know what you want to do what you want to do with that information next yeah our need to defend is really um it's really rooted in our fragility yeah well i mean sometimes you know because i go like stupid science nerdy like that are we're just wired to defend ourselves also and that it just takes a lot of work to get out of that pattern if bro friend was here. Ah, bro friend. Bro friend. Andrea knows bro friend too. I do. I do. If bro friend was here, they would give us the entire like dissection of our need to defend. It's our monkey. Where that comes from. It's our monkey brain. It's the amygdala. Say that word again. Amygdala. I like that word. <laughs> <laughs> we do. It's, the, it's the primal brain that's like, must defend myself. I'm being attacked. Must defend when really you need to just shut the fuck up and listen. Uh-huh. Then you have to pause and think, well, do I need to run? Do I need to freeze? Do I need to run? Or do you need to, like, and you just fight. have to flight, fight or flight. Yeah. Fight, freeze, or flight. But your brain doesn't know the difference. I know. I know. Okay. So back to... Okay. Back to, <laughs> back to allyship. We've talked about, um, can I go to pride? Um, yes, but don't be a creeper. that's the short answer right don't don't take up space make space listen we're all going to mess things up how do you acknowledge correct and move on without feeling the need to defend um there's another element of being an ally which is and i was saying this in the beginning you know being a person that presents as as stereotypically what we we say is straight um i've heard a lot of the homophobic jokes that exist and so Andrea I know you had some thoughts on this well yeah and I think this is where it comes down to being an ally isn't a part-time job you you can't be selective about being an ally you don't get to be an ally around certain people and then turn a blind eye when you hear a really bad homophobic joke or you or you don't call out discriminatory words actions when you're not around someone of the community like being an ally is really truly about being an ally 24 7 because you're not doing your friends any favors if you're supporting them telling them how much you love their podcast and and how great their story is but then you're sitting at a bar listening to somebody tell a gay joke and laughing at it or just not even saying that's not appropriate And so I I see a lot of people, you know, just even being around you or my other friends in the community who in in the moment with those people are are proudly allies and then turn around and on social media don't call out someone Mm -hmm. who makes a really inappropriate remark or even just just call somebody gay as as like an insult. And, you know, I think when you're not living your truth when you're not fighting every day to be accepted and part of, you know, and, and be treated equally, it's easy to think that that's not harmful. It's, and again, going back to privilege, it's really easy to think, well, it doesn't matter that that guy called my shoes gay, (laughs) but it does. It just contributes to this narrative that continually undermines. Well, and it dehumanizes. Yeah. Yeah. It's really about dehumanizing people that we want to bring them down to, you know, and I I always, you know, think, you know, we're, we're, a lot of times we're talking about microaggression. Mm -hmm. Um, it's the death by a thousand cuts. It's the little things that people say, 
Um, in particular, this is felt by you know people in the LGBTQ, LGBTQ community and especially by our, our BIPOC community. The microaggression and the one that, um, you know, for the LGBTQ community I hear a lot is, oh, you don't look gay. I'm like, well, what does gay look like? What does that tell me that you're trying to say about, you know, what a person and how they present? Because clearly you're... you're you don't in, look trans. You don't look trans. Um, oh, well, and then you get the, oh, well, you know what I mean, right? To trying to pass it off. And it's like, well, actually, I don't. What, what are you trying to say? And so I think your point, Andrea, of like, you know, you can't be an ally and be selective in when you are. And so, um, you know, particularly with, I think, the experience that that I, that I had, and I know your, yours, Alex, has been a little bit different, but I did, you know, live very closeted for a really long time. And um, there were folks that when I came out that were, went out of their way to show me how they were not supportive, whether that was crossing the street versus having to say hello to me, um, gossiping, um, talking about my family, not actually having the courage to come and say, Kim, are you okay? What can I do? They felt it was okay to talk about me. And I get it. It was, it was a, a nice little piece of juicy gossip for a long time. But in being an ally, you don't actually entertain that conversation. An ally would say, I mean, and you and I had plenty of long walk when this was, I'm looking at Andrea when this went on. And I would, and you would say to me the same thing again and again, that's not someone that's actually an ally. If they're listening and entertaining when other people are talking and gossiping about you, that's not an ally. Well, and I think that's where you, you know, you have two choices. Well, you have three choices, right? You, you say nothing, you remove yourself from the conversation and, and don't give them the space and time to entertain it. But truly being an ally is is raising your hand and saying, actually, this is not okay. This is not a story you get to tell. This is not a story you get to to share and take some kind of enjoyment out of. And that is what allyship is, is raising your hand and saying no. Right. Risk, risk not being liked. By doing what's right. Doing what's right. I mean, we talked about this in relation to parenting tonight. You don't. You we can't did. always. Yeah. You can't always be the popular person, and you you can't be afraid to not stand up for your for your morals and your values because you're afraid you're not going to be liked. Right. So if you want to, if you want to be an ally, sometimes that does mean you're going to have to do some things that to some people are, it's not going to feel popular. It's not going to be the popular thing to say, actually, we shouldn't be talking about them. Actually, we shouldn't be making that joke. Um, that doesn't feel good. And, you know, in, 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 the, in the training that I do um, within media, the, the most common thing that I hear is, hey, I recognize that this is not something I want to hear. Um, something feels off about this joke. Something feels off about this conversation, but I don't know how to say what it is it's just a feeling yeah. I don't like the way this feels and in the trainings I always say to people well what does it look like just to raise your hand and say hey I can't put it into words what doesn't feel right about this but it doesn't feel right and sometimes that's all it is you don't have to have a lengthy explanation of the exploitation of queer individuals I don't think anybody's expecting a dissertation on understanding it to that level so what does it look like just to raise your hand and say you know what I don't want to I don't want to you know, talk about this, or I don't, this isn't comfortable, or, you know, these people deserve our respect. 
um, let's not call people gay. Like those simple sentences, actually, that is a, a real sign of, of allyship. Yeah. You don't have to have all the answers. You know, I think this makes me think of like not specifically with, with LGBTQ things, but um, I was at work and witnessed like uh, a situation with a family where the the mom was like spanking or hitting, I mean, re- f- frankly, hitting their kid. And I was so like, you know, like how we define what abuse is. And the person I was working with, I told them about it and they were like, oh yeah, like I got spanked all the time as a kid. And I'm like, and so like inside I was like, oh my gosh. And, and they went to go talk to somebody else. And, and, and she was like, if it feels bad, it is bad. And, and that I, you know, just, you know, back to that trust in myself and that if it, if it, I didn't know quite exactly what it was. I couldn't categorize, like, I just saw, I mean, I know I'm kind of comparing a little bit. It's, but that, but based on that feeling, I was like, this isn't right. And I don't really know why. And, and just speaking to, and I, and then I went back to the, to the coworker and be like, you know, no one deserves to be hit like ever ever and you're normalizing that that's not okay and that baby had no say and that baby didn't react so that that poses a whole other issue it does but anyway i think though the one um the one the one thing i really hear from and and when you had come home that day from work and told me that story yeah you know when people witness and i include myself in this because i think especially socialized as as female um, and as white women, we are taught from a very early age that our likability is our number one, our number one sort of expectation in life. Mm-hmm. Um, value. Our, our, our value. Yeah. Be liked. Look at this nice, sweet, quiet, likable child, girl, young woman, adult. And to speak out against when we feel or see something that just feels wrong is in fact a complete and total act of defiance of everything we were taught to be. Yeah. And what, you know, and listen, I'm not that likable of a person. (laughs) I am that person that, you know, the phrase that I've gotten is you're just a lot. Well, yeah, I fucking am a lot. And here's why I'm a lot. I don't care what you think about me. I am not concerned whether you like me or not. And so when you, as a, as, as a woman, and I was not always that way, there are plenty of times that I saw oppression happening in front of me. I stayed in the closet. I completely betrayed who I was as a person, all for the sake of someone liking me. And the worst part, the people that I wanted to like me were actually the people that were openly oppressing other people. Yeah. So somehow I had been socialized to think that winning over them was more important than the actual humanity of the people that were being oppressed. You want to talk about a long, hard look in the mirror to change that behavior. And so, look, I still, that is the number one thing I think I fight against every single day, right? How am I, how am I showing up in the world today and what am I prioritizing? Am I prioritizing myself and my own likability? Or am I actually willing to speak up and risk not being liked because I want to do what's right? Yeah. But it's a conscious thought that I have to have. Oh, yeah. It's like steps. For sure. So if anybody's out there listening to this this week, like I I just, I can't, I stress this a lot in training too. 
be willing to be unliked and be willing to be really uncomfortable and take accountability for when you have not shown up as saying what's right because you were prioritizing yourself yeah, and who that actually ended up oppressing in the process. Uh, that's a long process of ownership. It doesn't happen overnight, but if mm-hmm. you can, if you can do that, um, you're on a path of, of allyship, I think of true allyship. And we've all done it. I mean, Oh, no, absolutely. Like, yeah. You know, Kim, you've shared your vulnerability and Alex, you've shared yours. Like, I think, we have all been in situations that at the end of the day, you look back and said, like, I should have said something. I yep. I should have stepped in. I should have been, been uncomfortable and stopped this from happening or stopped this person from saying something. Like, I think we also have to be empathetic with ourselves, right? Like, mm-hmm. everybody can acknowledge that they've been in that situation, wish they'd done something different. But you have to learn from it. You have to just say, next time, I'm going to make a more conscious decision to do this. Mm-hmm. And I know, like, it's not about shaming. It's, it's, it's an acknowledgement. It's a human condition mm-hmm. that in certain situations, our voice just gets lost because of fear. Right. Yeah. And, and finding the strength to overcome that fear, to, to raise your hand and, and make this statement, even when it's really uncomfortable, is, is a hard thing to do. And it takes some time and energy to build that. So, Andrea, what do you think? Because you, you, we've talked about this. We talked about this earlier tonight. You have a lot of queer friends. I have a lot of queer you friends. You do. Actually, I, I was telling you guys earlier when we were talking about this, this is actually like stemming from a conversation with bro friend mm-hmm. where at the end of the day, it's like, why do I surround <laughs> myself with... People in the queer community, but, you know, really what it comes down to for me is it's all about authenticity. Like, I think there is just something about the people that I, that I know, and I'm not making blanket, blanket statements because I'm sure there's unself-actualized queer people out there. But I think for the people that I've chosen to surround myself with, like you two, have gone through kind of like a stripping down, like to, to really, and then a building back up. Yeah. Like a taking down to nothing and and rebuilding and re-identifying and recreating your life. And what comes with that is incredible authenticity. And, you know, it's no secret that I myself have had kind of a rising from the ashes transformation over the past nine years from my divorce and, and things that happened during that time and, and have subsequently defined my life. And I'm just really attracted and inspired to be around people that live their truth that and I, I find that to be almost uniformly the case with the people in the in the LGBTQIA space that 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 they are living like a truly authentic transparent life um, and I think yeah. that just I think that resonates with me yeah it's a it is I, I always like when you say that I get, you know that you in your in your own life had had a period where you needed to rise from the ashes um, and take probably a, a, a look at you know what your life was going to be like post-divorce and how to rebuild um, you, you are a mom you have two kids and how you were going to you know rebuild a life of substance with them mm-hmm. um, and that does take a lot of authenticity and humility and vulnerability to be able to do so it makes sense to me that you know obviously you're attracted to people that are mirroring that experience 
I also think if you are a person and we talked to, did we talk about the man in the arena? I can't remember if, if we, this is like a, an idea that we had to do a podcast if we haven't done it yet. We did. I know. I don't remember if we might touched be saved upon it. on our draft still. I think that was the episode where you where you were dreaming about being interviewed by Brene Brown. Oh, yeah. then yeah. <laughs> I believe you mentioned the I man believe, in the You know, I was dreaming, dreaming big. I, I love the dreaming big. I, I yes. see it. <laughs> but it's, it, it, this is what it's hard about this format is I don't really go back and listen. I mean, we kind of check it for sound, but we don't. I don't really dive into what we've talked no, about. I and so much saying, of like, it. This is episode whatever I don't even number. Know. But yeah. these are this, the conversations that we end up having on these podcasts are just very much of our everyday our everyday lives and conversations um but back to the point of when you were saying like you know authenticity is attracted to authenticity i think if you are a person that has raised your excuse me raised your life from the ashes how difficult that is sometimes to form intimacy with someone who has not and is still living up in the um in the cheap seats that it it, it's it's fairly challenging to to do that I think I think what I realized too, especially when I began this whole whatever that means began. I don't, I don't really like remember the exact moment, but but the concept of the man um, in the arena, where I think in the beginning I really had no idea. I thought it was gonna be like a one and done. Like I'm gonna go in the arena, I'm gonna fight for my life, and then I'm done. Hit the showers. Hit the showers. <laughs> gonna get a hot girl. <laughs> Gonna and make a nice whiskey gonna drink. Gonna make a nice whiskey drink. I mean, some of all... that is true. <laughs> right. Some of that did happen. <laughs> it did. But also, actually, it's it's going in the tunnel, resting, and going back out every single day. Absolutely. It's every fucking day. And in different ways. In I different think. ways. In different ways. Yeah. Like, I think there's, you know, there's the way of going in where, you know, I, I, I need and want, you know, allies in my life, but I also need to show up and be one Yeah. Um, for all sorts of different communities, right? Because we, we define diversity in so many different ways. And it's not just about our community and people showing up for us. How am I passing that on? And that takes a certain level of self-awareness of it's not just my, it's not just me asking for how are people showing up for me? Um, yeah. And then the, the, the arena you know, there's been, and I almost like hesitate to say this because I know we have people that listen that are questioning or, or are coming out after being in the closet for a long time. And they're, they're looking for, um, probably some type of strength to be able to continue on that journey. And the truth is, is it wasn't just one coming out. Nope. It's, yeah. it was especially, I think for, for people listening that are later in life doing this. It's, um, and I don't talk about him. I don't talk about him much on here out of respect of his privacy, but, um, the person that I was with for 15 years, who is the, 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 um, biological father of my children, we are still very close. He lives around the corner from where I live now. I see him every day. (laughs) I talk to him multiple times a day. And one of the things he had said to me was, I wish we would have had one giant party where you could have invited every single person you ever knew and you could have told them all at once and just been done with it and moved on. But inevitably what happens is I would tell one friend, I would get through that. I would tell another, it took me a while to build up to telling my parents. And then it's, you know, then at some level it's out of your control 
and you have to just say, okay, I'm just going to let everything fall where it is. I am no longer in control of my own story. And that was, um, that was a very, very hard part of coming out where I really needed to rely on. And Andrea, I know I, I leaned on you quite a bit during that time because at some point it is beyond what you can control and you have to trust that your allies around you are, are they? They've got you. And, and can yeah. we just acknowledge that Kim really likes to be in control? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what you mean. I say this with the utmost love. <laughs> My Capricorn type A self. <laughs> I like control. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm just, yeah. Well, and I think you know, you make a really good point about the levels of conversations that have to be ongoing and and doing it in a way that is comfortable but then uncomfortable and having to really like work your way through that and I think from from a similar perspective with with being an ally you know it goes back to having those uncomfortable conversations but it doesn't have to I feel like when we circle back to that conversation about raising your hand and saying it's not okay we we talked about it very much from like the stance of like taking a stand and putting a stop to it. But I think there's also an opportunity to use those conversations to create more allyship. And I think that's really what both of you have done with a lot of the people in your life is using the, the, your story of coming out and helping them learn how to yeah. be allies. Like I definitely have been a better, become a better ally from just following your lead and hearing what you guys need to, to feel supported Um, And I think that now I see that as an ongoing role with other people. So being open to conversation, not judging people for not knowing how to be an ally or doing it wrong. And, you know, I'm going to use this example of my sister because, and I'm pretty sure she's going to be listening to this episode. So hi, Laurel. Hello, sister. Hi, Hi, Laurel in Canada. Um, But, you know, she had taken... A role on her company's pride committee, really doing it out of love for people in her life that are in the community and who she wanted to show up for. And she came to me last week and and was really looking for some some help on how to navigate some of the things around pronouns, how to be a good ally. And I, I actually, my response was, you need to listen to this podcast. And then she fell in love with it and fell in love with you guys. Hi, Laurel. <laughs> hey, Laurel. Um, but I think that, you know, that's, we, we need to look for opportunities to use those conversations and, and those relationships to build allyship. And, you know, whether that's involving our kids or our families or friends or even strangers who are open to that opportunity. And I, and that just comes back to being vulnerable and being able to see where you need help and ask for it, but also see when, where other people need help and, and help them find it if they're open and willing. Open and willing. And under, and I think with too, the understanding that almost everyone I come across has the best intentions. And I think you have to, um, you have to just believe that. And um, years ago, I think it was Russell Brand and Brene Brown were having this conversation about judgment. Yeah. And do you remember this? Because Andrea, I think you were the one that shared it. it I watched that one. Yeah, it was on Russell Brand's um, podcast and he was interviewing Brene Brown. And I still maintain that that's probably the best interview with her. I've ever heard. It, it's so good. So, you know, 
fellow balls of magic out there, listen to it. But Andrew, I'm going to butcher this, but the line that just really resonated with me is that if you can go through life accepting that no matter who you meet at all times, they are actually doing the best that they can. Yeah. And if you make that assumption, if you make that assumption, it changes the dynamic and it shifts this, this defensive, we were talking about being defensive. It shifts that into the assumption that this person is doing the best they can in this moment. And once you give people that grace, you, your own thoughts and attitude change and actually then you find common ground. More, you're more likely to find common ground and be able to see that person with empathy and grace. <laughs> Can you get there yet? I'm laughing. I'm laughing at myself because that like, that those like, those circles are, are, are like, it's not just running from home base to first, I'm like, I'll go like out to the outfield and like come back. <laughs> it takes me a while. I, I, but I, I'll get better at but it. But this to me is, is, you know, we say this a lot. This is embracing the and. And so yeah. the and to me is I will continue to try to do exactly what they said in that podcast was I, I want to go into, you know, conversations with anyone thinking they are doing the absolute best that they can in this situation. And, and they have that, the best intentions. And they have the best intentions. And it's actually okay for me to feel angry at the same time. Yeah. And I, yeah. Like, right, that yeah. it's it, it it's all in the same space because even though someone might be, you know, coming as 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 well as they can today, and this just might be where they are, they're stuck in their own fragility and their own and their own, um, you know, inability to 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 look outside of their own heteronormative experience and understand it's not the same for everyone. Um, yeah, there is anger in that. And that, that is okay. And we can try to acknowledge that we're all where we are that day. Yeah. All those things can be true at the same time. Yeah. You still angry? No, I, I think it's just help. It's helpful to acknowledge. I think because it just, it lands on such a personal, it's my life. It's, it's, it's my life. It's my kid's life. It's, you know, so I know that I'll take it in. I'll, I'll suck it in way deep and I just have to like, you know, um, but it's not, it's, it's bigger than me. It's also, um, just the, and, and what you're, what you were saying now, I lost my train of thought where with the, just with the judgment and the the, judgment, like, like remembering because those emotions can just cloud that. Like, I know this person, I know these people are doing People, all of us, myself included, we're all doing the best we can. And that, you know, but in when you have in those moments, there's just times where it's it's hard. And then it's it, hard to hold someone's fragility. It's hard to hold the fragility and you can go you leave and you come back and you're like, Yes, I understand this. I'm like, but isn't that but that's that's that growth muscle, right? Where mm-hmm. it's like, oh my gosh, we're challenged. And we have to like overcome this thing. Like it doesn't happen right away. It doesn't. And I think it's like when you were just saying that to me, it's like another part of allyship really came into into um, into clear focus. And and this is something I've seen, Andrew, you do multiple times when we've been in um, group dynamics and someone will say something well-intentioned. But maybe not being very, you know, truly understanding or inclusive of of LGBTQ. Instead of having Alex and I explain it, you do. 
you step in and say, well, I think this is kind of, you know, what this, what this means. And it lifts such a weight from constantly having to be on one of our backs of having to speak for ourselves where, you know, you were saying before, like, am I just in that position of like the angry trans person again? I, yeah. But that to me is a sign of true allyship is that when you do have the, the insight or the answer or the ability to step in so that, you know, the person that has been othered doesn't have to constantly. Well, and, and to feel that you guys, when that happens, there is that support. Cause I think, I see you and I see how tired and I see how the anger can can weigh on you and and I think just as an ally as your friend like forget the ally piece as somebody who I who really does consider myself your family yeah like I feel tired for you and if there's anything that I can do that can alleviate some of the responsibility that is always on you to defend yourselves and defend your way of life and defend your right to be a human being <laughs> then, you know, I'm happy to be that person. And I'm so glad that that is something that is, that I'm, I don't want you to ever think I'm appropriating your voice. I'm glad that that feels like, <laughs> I feel, I'm glad that feels like a positive for you. Yeah. And also I, I do want to sometimes punch people for you. <laughs> trying really hard not to. <laughs> we all get to that place sometimes. Yeah. I think I'm also just thinking of, you know, when, when people when that full circle does happen with people and they're like, I get it. This is what happened. And right now it's like, you know, we're all in this collective awakening and, and right now it's, it's more of the, you know, you just kind of like bumping up against things over and over again. And then when those moments that when there's acknowledgement and that it's so healing and so well and i don't know that people know necessarily think about that but you're right like when somebody comes back to you and acknowledges even two years later right like i don't know that people really understand how incredibly and this goes beyond just issues around being in the community it's it's for any of us if if somebody comes back and acknowledges that they wronged you or they said the wrong thing there's intense healing absolutely that comes from that and and I think sometimes people think oh well I, you know I don't should I really say anything should I really it's so important to say when you yeah. when you come to that realization and you see what's happened and the damage you could have you may have inflicted owning it no matter how long five years ten years two weeks is an incredibly powerful thing there is a lot of healing and acknowledgement and to, to, to heal. It is really hard to do without that. Mm-hmm. So well, we're at time. Look at that. Yeah. That was an hour really well spent. Andrea, it was super fun. Thanks for having me. Well, I think that we could do allyship part two, part three, part four, <laughs> part five. This is a, a big conversation. And so I just want to close saying um, I got some really – Wonderful messages from from folks over the past week. I just want to say thank you. I see you. I, I, I hear you. Thank you for acknowledging what we're trying to do. And then, Alex, I know you have like a list of things you tell people to do at the end of this. Well, real quick. So part two, we could do what we talked about today with allyship part two about holding how actually hard it is to hold space. Yes. 
that would be a huge one. Okay. But um, you can email us at howtobequeerpodcast at gmail.com and um, ask us questions, leave us comments. We love to hear your stories, ideas, and don't forget to subscribe and share. Thanks for joining. And Andrea, to the best ally we know. Aww. An amazing human being. Thank amazing you so much being. for joining us. I love you guys. Oh, and also the designer of our Oh my gosh. Our logo. How can we forget this person designed our logo? Oh. Yes. A happy gift to give you. All right. Good night, balls of magic. See you soon. Good night, balls of magic. Bye.